I'm Stacey Lindis from Podcast PD, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to My EdTech Life. Thank you so much for joining us on this beautiful Wednesday evening or wherever it is that you may be. Maybe it's already daytime and it's Thursday. You know, wherever it is that you're joining us from, thank you so much for being here and being part of our show. And as always, thank you for your support. And today, guys, we have an amazing, amazing show. I'm really excited to get this conversation going. And as you can see down here on the title, title of the show is, Why Do I Have to Learn This? Well, you're going to see why it is titled that way, because this question was what inspired our guest here today, Mr. Bo Neal, who will be introducing himself shortly, to do some amazing things. And the work that he's doing is definitely something that is inspiring and really admirable. And I'm just happy that, uh, Bo, that you're here today joining us to just share your experience with us here today. Bo, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Uh, it's it's uh, been a beautiful day. I love the fall. Um, I feel like the sort of like the that huge push that is the beginning of the year is starting to wear out, and we're getting really hitting our stride. And and uh, it's nice being an online school, being in an online environment. Um, the beginning of the year is crazy because you have students who are enrolling last minute. You have you have um, students who we're going to enroll, but all of a sudden they didn't tell you, but now they're going to a different school. So there's just so much sort of um, craziness and getting things going and getting the classes set up. And there's a lot of energy in it and it's kind of fun, but it's also nice when things, you know, kind of mellow out and you're into the school year. Excellent. Well, I'm excited. And thank you to our guests who are joining us right now. We've got Josh Tovar. We've got Pilly, who's uh, joining us. She's passing by briefly. My friend, Eddie. Thank you, Eddie, for giving a shout out to our intro. Very emo intro. <laughs> thank you so much. But as you know, we've got some great, great, uh, you know, people that are joining us here. Uh, Josh, like I said, he's also a principal, amazing administrator, very energetic and very motivational. But like Pilly said right here, you know, that question is always asked by the students. Why do I have to learn this? Well, we'll get into that story right now. So, Bo, I, I know you gave us a little brief introduction, but just uh, give us just your context in education. And, um, you know, and if you can just add one interesting thing about you that people may not know. Sure. So um, do you want like the whole sort of long and the short of how I got to where I'm at? Or do you want to just talk about what I'm doing? And then a little interesting thing about me that people might not know. Yeah, let's go ahead. And we're going to build up the conversation. So let's do the the kind of like the little short, and then we're going to okay. get into it. <laughs> sure. So uh, currently, I am an academic administrator, middle, middle school, high school principal at Frontier Charter Academy, which is a statewide online school, completely online school in the state of Oregon. I'm also the CEO of SYS Education, which is an education service provider that helps uh, online programs maybe transition into the 21st century um, or you know, districts that wanna start an online program, we work with them as well. So it's kind of taking 
what we've learned and built and discovered through our experience creating a charter school that's entirely online and trying to bring that and 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 pass that on to other people as well. So that's currently what I'm doing. One thing that people might not know about me is uh, I'm an avid reader. Um, I love reading. I love fiction um, so much. And uh, every time I'm I'm kind of stressed out, I think about my book list of things I want to read and and I uh, just go back to that and it makes me happy. So readings kind of helps me get away from the world and, and recenter myself. Nice. Well, I mean, look, I mean, I know you, you said the reading thing, one little interesting thing, but I think the, for me, the interesting thing was that you just said, Hey, I, I started a school. We founded a school and not a lot of people can say that Bo, but we're, we'll get into that right now. But first of all, I, I always like to our, you know, get to know our guests a little bit more. And of course, for all our audience members that may not know who you are or may be familiar with your work, I always like to ask, you know, where this inspiration came from, what sparked you to get to where you're at. But more than anything prior to that, where did your interest for education first, you know, kick off the moment that you said, hey, you know what, I want to be a teacher because I know for a fact you, it, it stated that you never really wanted to be a teacher. Is that correct? Yeah, that's that's it, really. So I wanted to be a writer. That's kind of what I wanted to be. I mean, I guess I wanted to be a writer from probably the age 16 on, and I worked very hard at it and wrote all the time, and I still write quite a bit. Um, went to a lot of school, took a lot of courses, did a lot of workshops, um, did a lot of reading and and sort of through it all, um, I amassed a lot of uh, ideas about writing and I wanted to try out teaching. So I volunteered time at a like a little homeschool co-op and taught high schoolers. And we did, you know, kind of like a writer's workshop. And then we went over some classical literature and uh, just reading Franz Kafka's The Metamorphosis together. Um, it had a sort of like a transformative experience on me. I just fell in love with the energy, um, watching the students kind of like get, getting it to click and seeing them sort of like um, make meaning out of it themselves and seeing how at first they didn't like it or didn't understand it. But then as they lived with it, they did something interesting with it and, and it became something that they really liked. Um, that was really exciting for me. And that sort of set me off on the course for teaching um, when I, when I decided that's what I wanted to do, when I figured out like, okay, this is something, because at that point I'd heard so many like horror stories, like teaching so hard and it's this and that, and that is all true. That is all true. Um, but what I didn't hear all the time and what I discovered was how rewarding and satisfying it actually is. And so when I figured that out, you know, I kind of went that route and, uh, got my master's in teaching. Uh, well, right when I got my master's in teaching, there was like a hiring freeze essentially, and no one was hiring teachers. I was like, I want to say 2015-ish. Um, but uh, my future principal had reached out to my MIT program and asked for an English teacher or a candidate, and um, they sent my information along. So we got in contact. This guy was working in an online school. I'd never even thought about teaching online, but you know, beggars can't be choosers. I had a family to feed. So I just jumped in with both feet. I was pretty discouraged about uh, sort of like what I found 
online school to be, which is essentially a digital packet. I didn't have a lot of control. It was a canned curriculum. Um, one of my more precocious students, I was like marveling at how much curriculum she was getting through in a day. And she's like, Mr. Neal, it's all the same. And if you go to the last two pages, there's a summary and then you can do the summary and then take the multiple choice exam and you got it. And you can just kind of fly through it. And I was just like, well, this isn't teaching anyone really anything, or at least that's what's my feeling. Um, so I asked my principal, Dr. Todd Schweitzer, if I could um, create my own curriculum. And he's like, yeah, go for it. And he was super supportive. And that's actually who I started Frontier Charter Academy with. We're co-founders together. And so I made my own curriculum and it actually worked well. And the students that I had for English actually surpassed the district for this, the state testing, you know, benchmarks and, and our scores um, were pretty good. They, they were the best in the school and um, they were better than most online schools, I'd guess. And really the reason was not because I was testing them or teaching them how to do multiple choice exams. I was actually helping them bring and make meaning out of text. I was bringing in and creating project-based learning experiences and kind of shifting things and having them do less work, but do better work and letting them sort of um, bring their interest to the curriculum. And it had a profound effect and implicit in, you know, some of those experiences were the answer to the question, why do I have to learn this? So you can set up a project and the project I always love to show is uh, Natalie Conway's fifth grade tiny home project where she had her class to teach them math. She had their class actually spec out tiny homes or little fifth graders and like, okay, this is what I need for material. This is how much it'll cost at this place. And they were learning the math as they did it, but they're excited about actually building their little tiny home. And so as they learn the math, they're also answering that question, why do I have to learn this? It's an honest question. It's a question every student has had, and it's one that we should, um, we should address because that's respectful, right? And it's a great way to start the learning process by answering that question. Wow, that is just wonderful. And just to hear you, really, the way that you just described everything. And uh, I think, honestly, that there's a lot of programs that are out there that, like you said, maybe may promise something, but then they end up being these canned, uh, scripted, just, you know, here's the curriculum. And then at the very end, you just do the summary and, you know, you get your credit, you move forward, you go on. But how does that really translate, you know, that information, making sure that you really did learn something? And, you know, recently in some of the interviews that I've done with previous guests, you know, one of them mentioned, you know, the goal, at least for a teacher should be you want to make sure that not only are you making that connection with the content, but that that content becomes part of the student that as they continue to move on, it's something that is in there and it's in, for, for mm -hmm. example, their tool belt that they can bring out later on in other courses and they just start building up, you know, for their future and in the learning process. So I do have a comment here again that I do want to share. Uh, Eddie Guzman, who's joining us, he says, you know, he's right. And to one of the comments that you were uh, stating here, Bo, it says a lot of kids look for shortcuts and a lot of lecturers get lazy and use old methods that don't translate into this world. So definitely something that we see there. And I think you and I, Bo, had a little conversation earlier, mm -hmm. kind of like in the little warm-up chat, you know, and stating that 
you know, I think oftentimes right now, at least what I'm seeing and from what I see on social media and seeing from friends, you know, a lot of uh, a lot of people are fighting to get back to before the way things were before COVID. But we're not going to get to that point anymore. We need to move on and we need to adapt to the way that students are learning now and for the future of learning. So as a teacher, I always need to stay sharp. You know, I always need to go and look for the next thing. How am I going to introduce this concept? What is out there as far as pedagogy and practice and so on? And you hit on a lot of great things there, you know, like the project-based learning, you know, uh, a lot of it where it's the student is taking charge of the learning process and the teacher becomes that guide on the side. What is your experience with that as far as maybe when you first started teaching? uh, Did you start teaching based on the way you were taught or was it a learning process and then you figured out, hey, maybe the sage on the stage thing isn't as great as I thought and now you're adapting? Well, yeah, I mean, it really is how I first started learning. Um, So I was, uh, again, before I got into this, I was really into wanting to be a writer and a novelist and these sorts of things. And I had this class um, and it was a, well, multiple times in my college career, I would have this class where I was told to do something and I decided I wanted to do something else. And so I just presented to the teacher Um, I remember my Jewish literature class, I told the teacher like, hey, instead of doing this paper, can I show you these um, tropes of Jewish literature by creating a script for the Twilight Zone? Because that's a great um, Rod Serling. I mean, he's amazing. And so I wanted to write my own script and and do that. And the teacher's like, yeah, but it better be better than a paper because I'm going to like grill you on it. And, you know, that's one example. I did that in a couple other classes. But then I just brought that sort of like that's how I did things. So when I became a teacher, I wanted to my students to be able to do that. It's like, well, you know, Mr. Neal saying this thing, but I kind of do it this way or I like this thing and I want to bring it to my learning. And so I always wanted to make room for that. Um, the other thing is that this thing right here has power. And um, if I monopolize it, it's not very interesting. Like high schoolers are sort of interested in me, but not really. They're interested in one another. And my role has always been as a teacher is to be like the chief learner. Like I want to model that I am an excellent learner. I'm always growing. Hey, how would you guys think of that activity? Oh, it wasn't that cool. Okay. What can I do to make it better? Okay. And so we get this dialogue where they're coming to me as a peer and they're respectfully telling me what I need to shore up. And that really changed my teaching and that helped me to become a better teacher and kind of fly further faster because I was getting real-time feedback and making adjustments. Um, and so that's that's something I've always wanted to model and be, and I've always wanted to make sure that my classroom is a place where everyone's talking and I'm, I'm sort of like tailoring the experience, but it needs to be an experience and everyone needs to have a role. Um, I had a student who was really struggling with attendance and he was an awesome impersonator. Like he could do all these impressions and he was hilarious and he was always off topic and he didn't like to come a lot. And I realized like, well, he can be my hype man. So when I made him my hype man, this student made it to every single lesson because guess what? When we started class, Josh was going to get his five minutes of doing his Macho Man Randy Savage or Yoda introduction of Mr. Neil. 
and like as a way of transitioning the class and everyone was going to laugh and and you know he was going to get his 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 shine and and he has his place and so i think creating a place where everyone fits and can work together and just being smart about how you share the microphone how you share the stage um is really important too Man, that is wonderful. That that is something that is amazing. And I want to hit on a couple of things that you mentioned. The one thing that popped to mind is the way that you said you see yourself as the chief learner. And I think that is something that is very important because even as educators, no matter how long I had been in the classroom, I was continually trying to better my practice, searching, looking, getting, uh, connecting with other educators and trying to bring those experiences. And really, it's just that adding that additional little zest and spice to what I already know works, but just evolving it, changing things and adapting to our learners. And that's something that's so important. The other thing that I want to talk about is actually something that you brought up and putting yourself out there in front of the class and actually asking for feedback from your students and saying, Hey, what did you think about the lesson? And I know I've got uh, my friend Pilly here also who says that she also asks and is very active with her students and she asks if they enjoyed the activities. Now, talk about vulnerability there, you know, really putting yourself out there and you're out there at the mercy of your students. But how did that, you know, really, well, I guess maybe I should say, that cultural vulnerability, how did that feel at first? And how did your students respond in seeing you? Like, whoa, my teacher's actually asking for my feedback or what my thoughts are. Can you give me some maybe experiences there, please? Well, yeah. So first of all, if you trust a student and if you um, are that candid with them, you know, uh, professionally, they'll protect that. I had a student who... Uh, you know, I, re- I knew his parole officer very well when I was student teaching and iPads were new and they're like the, the big new thing. And I had one and I just gave it to him and, and I'm like, yeah, take it, go mess around on it, do whatever during lunch. And I could tell he was taken aback that I would just trust him with it. And guess what? He brought it back. He brought it back in good shape because, you know, I trusted him and he was going to protect that. When you're honest with when you're honest with students like, hey, you know, what can I do better? they'll, they're going to, um, they're going to, they understand the context. They understand the situation. They understand that you're being vulnerable and they are going to respond in an appropriate manner. Oftentimes, oftentimes. And so I've never really had a problem, um, with that. And and that's never really felt all that vulnerable to me because I've never, um, just because I've been so pragmatic with it, where it's like, I know I'm not the best. I know I'm not the greatest. I know I'm on a continuum. And so it never felt, and these are the people I'm serving. So it seems like they are the people that can make me the best. I could be actually, it was hilarious when I was student teaching, I had tried an activity with a class and this one student, and he was a not a great student academically, but I was, I was teaching middle school humanities, eighth grade. I tried this thing, it fell flat. And the student took me aside. He's like, Mr. Neal, come here. And he's like, that's not how you do think pair share. <laughs> and I was like, really? Okay, explain. And he was totally right. And he had seen he'd seen Think Pair Share so many times that he knew exactly how it should go and why I had messed up. And that taught me like, oh, I should listen to these people because they're experts at evaluating teachers because they've seen so many teachers. Um, and then the other thing is 
it also taught me that best practices are cool, but they lose their novelty very fast. And so I can't just rely on doing the same thing every year because all of these students will come through and the student teacher every year is going to do think pair share. They're going to do this. They're going to do that. And they've seen it all. So, um, yeah, it was. So I think that just set the tone, honestly, because students have taken it upon themselves to make me a better teacher. And so I've, I've asked for that, too. You know, what you just said there also just really resonates, too, with my my years in in the classroom for 11 years, you know, really putting yourself out there. And I love what you said. You know, the students have become they're great evaluators. They are great teacher evaluators. I mean, hey, they're either going to like you. They're not going to like you. But if you're being sincere and oftentimes I think you know, at first, when I first started, it's like, oh, no, it's like, I got to seem like I know everything. But soon I realized yeah. I really don't know everything. And the kids will smell that they'll know, yes. you know, and just like Josh uh, Tovar says here, the, the, the kids can smell right through that. Yes. And then I started learning, you know, just in the importance of establishing that relationship and building that rapport first. Right. I was allowing myself to be myself. And if I make a mistake, I had students that would respectively say, you know, say, hey, Mr. Mendoza, sorry, hey, you missed that or you missed right. that. What I loved is when I transitioned from high school to elementary and my fifth graders, I, you know, was really into tech, really into coding, really. And I the little that I knew, I just shared with them and they had questions. I wasn't sh sure of all the answers, but you had students in there. They're like, oh, no, check this out. Here's an easy way to do this. Or here's an easy way to do that. And like you mentioned, they're the ones that made me better because by the end of the day, I was able to answer all those questions. And then we were able to take it up another notch. But I felt like I learned more from them. And that culture in my classroom was wonderful. What we had yeah. built, those relationships. And that's something that can make things so much easier and smoother as the year goes by. For sure. Definitely. Definitely. I mean, they're experts. I mean, as an academic administrator, I can say this, your students probably are a better, have a better understanding of you as a teacher and your abilities and your shortcomings and the things you need to work on than your academic administrator. I mean, I might watch a teacher teach two, three times um, a semester. And I do pride myself on watching my teachers and staying for a whole lesson and giving thoughtful feedback because it's important that I'm engaged wholeheartedly with that because I value what they're doing. But those students are there every day watching everything and they see it all. And they're just professional learners. They've been sitting there watching teacher after teacher for so long. Um, and they're so current that they can give you really profound feedback. Oh yeah, that's for sure. Man, that that's so wonderful. I mean, everything that you've just hit on right now, I'm just like, man, I can definitely, you know, it, it resonates and I think it's great and very refreshing to hear, you know, a, an educator such as yourself sharing your experience right now too as well and hopefully also just inspiring other of our our watchers or listeners that just say, "Hey, you know what? It's it's okay." to not know everything, it's okay to get feedback, especially from our students, because like, and one thing that you mentioned, it's like these, they're the ones that we're serving, we're serving right. our students. So I think that that also creates that connection, establishes that rapport, and the classroom culture completely, you know, uh, it becomes something that is great, where everybody can participate, and there's a sense of belonging, accountability, and it's just a, a great place to go. And 
kids are going to want to attend class. They're, they're not going to want to miss because it's like, hey, I want to see what Mr. Neil's going to be doing this time. And hey, I want to see, you know, what the hype man's going to do. And I want to see yep. what so or, you know, what they're going to produce. And I think that when students, you know, don't want to miss your class or they'll show up to your class, but they have a doctor's appointment, but they still want to show up to your class and then they leave afterwards. That says a lot too as well. So that's yes. definitely, that's definitely great. Wow. Okay. So now we're here, you're talking about your classroom experience, mm -hmm. what you've had. And then that moment, that spark, that said that, that spark that went off in you to say, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and start my own school. When did that come about? When did that flame just, you know, burn bright and you just went for it? Well, it started years before it actually happened with uh, the results and talking to um, Todd and, and just going over, like, could we do this at, at, a, at a bigger level? Could we take these things that are hindering us here, like kind of move on from those and just take what's good and, and start something brand new? Um, so that started probably two years before it, uh, we actually started the school um, between then. Well, I mean, it was sort of what led me to get my um, admin license. I never wanted to be an administrator and I still really love teaching. Um, but I to, to do this, I needed to do that. And so it just seemed like I could I could do better for myself and then for the great teachers I knew who were kind of. Um, constrained by the program, you know, your Ashley Whites, your Natalie Conways, your Tim Baddocks, um, that if we could create this place for them, then they can really be unleashed and thrive. And so um, that that really started it. And so that was like my weekends and nights for quite some time. Um, and then, you know, a lot of people were like, well, no one's ever going to sign up for your school. You don't have a curriculum. And no district's ever going to sign up for you. You don't have a curriculum, but it really helped us. I mean, that to me was what made it so special is I really had to drill into the mission and vision. And I had to explain why we don't have a curriculum, which is really an important part of the story. Um, and not having curriculum has been huge for us. And and the culture is, it's been so wonderful. There are, we have such a great culture at FCA and our teachers are, are um, so great. And it is why the school's good. I mean, a good school is good teachers. Your, if you're going to be student-centered, you have to be teacher-centered because the teacher is the student experience. And so everyone else has to work around that to support that. The middle of the educational solar system has to be the classroom, has to be the teacher. And your admin has to put your teachers in positions where they can thrive and they can be who they need to be. Like how I was creating a place for my hype man, I have to create a place for my teachers and I have to make sure that they're supported and they have a place where they fit in and can be the best they can be. Wow. <laughs> that is so truly inspiring. You know, the way that you transition and like you said, it very similar. I mean, yeah, I couldn't have put it better myself. I mean, they're your words and, but the way that you just built this culture and like you were talking about Natalie and Ashley, I mean, they were on the show um, last week, actually a week ago mm -hmm. on Wednesday. And I remember telling Natalie, Hey, you know, put the bug in Bo's ear about, you know, coming on the show and see if we can get you to come here and also share. But I think, you know, from what I saw in that conversation and, you know, and, and with Natalie also previously, because she had been a guest previously also as well is, you know, the, the way that 
they feel, you know, the way that you, the way that uh, SYS, FCA, just the way they feel working there. We're talking about just that school culture and the ability for them also as as teachers, with teachers, being able to be vulnerable amongst themselves, but being able to collaborate, you know, the what you've established is something that really, like, I admire because I, I haven't experienced, I mean, like I said, we've experienced it, but the way that I'm seeing it and, you know, from Ashley and, and them and the way they talk about it, I was like, it's something that has, is something that is wonderful that you're doing there. So, just definitely keep up that great work. So tell us a little bit, though, like you mentioned, the the curriculum issue, that problem. How did you overcome, you know, maybe that obstacle when people were saying, nah, 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 wait a minute, you don't have curriculum. They're, they're definitely not going to look your way. Right. What did you do there? Well, I took it back to the mission and vision, which was equipping students with skills that will serve them outside of school. And then I connected the CAN curriculum to um, sort of not doing that, like um, learning multiple choice and learning how to be a proficient test taker is great when you're taking a test, but how is that going to serve you afterwards, right? How's that going to serve you in your workplace? Um, and, and one analogy I would always tell parents and districts and whoever would listen is if I was going to teach, um, if I was going to prepare a student to become a chef and they had to take this test at the end. And I knew that they had to make an omelet to show proficiency or to demonstrate mastery so that they can then, you know, get their chef license. I wouldn't just teach them to make an omelet. Like, and I wouldn't do omelet, omelet, omelet. And then they go do their omelet because what I've done is I've made someone who's a great omelet maker. I've not created a chef. So I would teach them, you know, why you use this ingredient, why this works with this, you know, how to do this. And and the culture behind the food. And I'd want them to know everything they could. And then what they do there would be a byproduct of all of that learning. So I'm not gaming the system. And I think a lot of the curriculum is set up to get a certain result on the state test, but it's kind of gaming the system. It's not really um, better serving the students or best serving the students. And furthermore, it doesn't really work because here's the thing about students. This is something I picked up from trying to be a writer and being a failed writer. No tears in the writer, no tears in the reader. If there's no enthusiasm for me in the curriculum, if I'm not invested in it as the teacher, students are going to see right through that and they're going to be bored as well. If it doesn't mean something to me, it's not going to mean something to them. And that that part of it, that part of learning is huge. Like the, the emotional side of learning is a very big part and it's something that we all need to tend to. And so creating sort of organic, responsive curriculum that allow students to bring their identity to it, to make meaning out of it in their own ways, to respond to it in, in, in a myriad of ways. Um, it's just, it's going to work better for all of us. And that's kind of what I set out to prove um, time and time again, and something I wholeheartedly believe in. Wow, you and I speak the same language, my friend, in that sense, as far as the standardized testing, things of that sort. I mean, you're looking at sometimes districts, it just, stopping instruction in April just to review for a test for a whole month right just so students can take a test and you know you bring it you hear the term learning loss the learning loss but what about that loss of learning that occurs within that month that you're just focusing on the test and then by the time the student takes the test they're tired they're right. just they've had it and just to know how to answer a b c and d when as we know 
in the future of learning. I mean, I mean, when you go to higher ed, you definitely have more choices. When you're in work, you have to improvise, adapt, and overcome. And like you said, right. I love the analogy that you said. If you just prepare them to make omelets your whole time, that's the only thing that they're going to be good at, and they're never going to expand. Um, yeah, de definitely speaking the same language there because uh, we also have different types of learners too as well. Right. I mean, and I think that, you know, standardized tests, I mean, the word standardized is you're pretty much – here in this box, but we have all sorts of different learners that you're trying to bring into this box. And, and I get it, you know, it's something that you need to get data, you know, you need to see who's growing, who's not growing, but how truly effective are those measures that are, I think, arbitrary, you know, right. who, who really says like, you know, this is the level that you need to be at in third grade. You know, I think somebody just kind of came up with that and say, okay, this is where they need to be. What are, what are some of your thoughts on that? I mean, you nailed it. I, I always go back to this one student I had who was dyslexic and she is an amazing student and she didn't know she was an amazing student because of her dyslexia. But what the one thing that that built in her is she struggled and she didn't have a lot of academic success until she did, but she had more perseverance because of her dyslexia. And she had a different way of thinking about things and approaching things. And it was awesome to see it all come to fruition and to see her kind of, you know, embrace it and be able to do these really cool things and become the Val Victorian, you know, um, and that that is so powerful. And I think that students grow at different times, different rates. There's a lot of people who have made huge innovations and you track them back, you know, whether it's Albert Einstein or someone else. And they, they did bad in school and they struggle at certain points. But sometimes it's the struggle that produces that thing in them that gives them that tenacity to keep going or that that class just wasn't right for them at that time. And, and of course, of course, that's going to be the case, especially the less we differentiate and give students opportunities and options to satisfy the standards the way they want. The standards, they can be satisfied in a myriad of ways yes. and we always reduce it. Right. And that's pretty normal. But it's not always accurate that they don't know the standard because they can't demonstrate mastery the way we put it in front of them to demonstrate. Um, so giving them opportunities to demonstrate it in a variety of ways. I mean, if you wanted to demonstrate that you understand the central theme of a novel or book, you can literally write a report about it. And that is one way. And that touches other standards. Or you could actually recreate or redesign a brand new cover for a new a, a new uh, pressing of the book that demonstrates the central theme symbolically in the cover and use the language of colors, pictures, images. And that is a way that you can show. And, and that's just as valid for showing. So um, there's yeah. a variety of tools our students have I, that can be I used in a variety of ways. I agree with you. I, and I love everything that you said there. My last couple of years teaching, you know, fifth grade and sixth grade, you know, I think it was the last four years. I did two years of sixth and then two years of fifth before I moved on to this position. But it was always like, hey, here's some tech. You know, if you feel comfortable, you can create a slide presentation. I had students that were creating drawings. I had students that were um, they would write because they preferred they were felt more comfortable writing. Right. But it's all about that learning artifact. I mean, 
regardless, like you said, you know, one thing that I learned from my friend Matthew Woods is like, you know, they give you the standards, but they don't tell you how to teach the standards. So it's like, here are the standards, but you have a sandbox. You can go to town and teach it any which way you like. But what I also liked is I also like to give my students choice, whatever they felt most comfortable with. And it it doesn't necessarily mean that and one thing I noticed is that it didn't necessarily mean that if a student felt comfortable with writing, that that's all they did all the time. Right. They actually jumped on to, hey, I like what they did there. I want to learn how to do that. Uh, I want to do a voiceover. I want to do Screencastify. I want to create a podcast. I want to do that. And they just jumped all over the place. But again, with that rubric in mind of these are the expectations, this is what I want to see. Right. And now they submitted a learning artifact. Now, just a, a real quick story about myself too. When I started my master's program in educational technology, there's no exams, there no tests, nothing at all whatsoever. It was just, you know, you can turn in some papers that you needed to do at the end. However, we created a portfolio where we pretty much our learning was you find a real world problem, mm. find a solution to it. Here's the rubric, but you can go to town and use any tools you'd like, anything you love. But they just wanted to see that you were able to put into practice what you were learning, put it out there and you just submit your portfolio. And at the end, they just checked off my portfolio and said, hey, awesome. You met all the requirements. Skip over to this last semester, doctoral studies. We, uh, it was an advanced curriculum and instruction class. Professor says, all right, guys, here is your choice board. I was kind of taken back by the reaction of a lot of my uh, peers in that class where their eyes just went deer in the headlights because it was a choice board and right. they didn't they didn't understand the concept because we've been programmed from K to 12. No, just tell me how to do this. And that's what I'm going to do. Tell me and how to get the I'm A and I'm going to do it. How to get the A. And she didn't. She she pretty much said, okay, here are your choices. You can attend all of my lectures because I need contact hours. So attend all, my, all of my lectures. You can go ahead and uh, do a couple of hours of this conference here that you can do six hours here. You can read this book. That'll count towards six hours. You can do, go ahead and uh, watch a movie, and that'll count towards six hours because you'll watch the movie and you have to do a write-up. And then, of course, myself, I said, well, can I do a podcast? She's like, yeah, go ahead. You can go ahead and do a podcast, which is what I ended up doing as far as in addition to my contact hours. But we spent about an hour going through the same process over and over again because still – within that hour people were confused they 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 didn't understand like there it was interesting so it's something that is very important like and just to share that you know you can't just show the kids to make omelets <laughs> they right. need to understand that there's more than one way you know for learning and especially once you get into higher ed or and and in the in the work i mean i'm sure yeah. with what you do You've got to improvise, adapt, and overcome on the fly, and you have to use some of those skills and start bringing in some extra spices, chopping up yep. some extra ingredients to find a solution. So, and yeah. I have to 
embrace my failure because I don't always do a great job or I think I'm doing something and it turns out this way or I don't know what I'm doing and then I do it and I learn that, oh, I should have done it this way. And that's just part of learning is failing. I mean, when you learn to, when you learn to walk, you fell more than you walked for quite some time. And that just has to be a part of the learning process. Always, no matter how old we get, we have to be like, well, it didn't go the way I wanted it to. I'm going to try it again. And next time I'm going to do a little better, you know? And I love that. That's something that's yeah. very important for teachers to know. And especially now, and you know, that it's okay that we fail. Like you said, it, it, we're not going to be pros at everything all the time, right. but seeing failure as a stepping stone to success, that's something that is important. That growth that comes from it and that self-evaluation, self-reflection, like you said, I think that that was something that many days I would finish the day and I'm like, oh man, I could have done that better. Oh yeah. man, next time I'm going to try this and oh man, next time I'm going to do that. And uh, and that's the great part about it. And But it's even better when you have a great working relationship like Natalie and Ashley where they can bounce ideas off of each other oh, and yeah. do those things. So that's wonderful. That's awesome. So, okay. So tell us a little bit more now where you're at you currently as far as you know if you don't mind sharing you know your enrollment maybe some success stories in that your outreach and uh yeah so we'll start off with that before we we go on into other questions with uh frontier charter academy our enrollment is about 500 students um we have a captain enrollment we're not trying to be the biggest we're trying to be able to sort of we want to make sure that we don't just grow for growth sake but that we are um big enough that our, you know, we can pay for our teachers and that whole thing, but then also small enough that our, our class sizes are small and our students can form relationships with the teachers. That's really important to us. Even online, a lot of online schools, you have 150 students in a class because there's no classroom management, but you can't really build a relationship um, when you have so many students to try to try to meet, try to get to know. Um, so we keep it at, I would say, I'd say we're at like 30 to one. Um, we've been smaller in the past when we started. Uh, it was an all hands on deck type thing. And I mean, it was probably 20 to one at that point because, you know, I was teaching full time. Natalie was sped and teaching full time. I was principal and teacher. So, I mean, we had to wear a lot of hats, but now, now um, it's, it's not quite like that. And I think we're at about, we're K through 12 now. We started out just five, serving grades five through nine. Um, because we wanted to build up and, and be intentional and make sure that we have the opportunities for students in place by the time they got there. We didn't want to have seniors without having great opportunities already laid out. And that takes years to build. Um, but we're, we're now K through 12 and we're about 500 students and we have a very dedicated community. Um, so it's, it's really fun. It's, our teachers are amazing. Um, they're, I think some of the best and, uh, and so it's really cool to see a student for three years, four years, have like wonderful teachers and to see how well they do by year four. It's, it's actually been really encouraging. Excellent. So that's with FCA. And then so yes. talk to us a little bit about SYS and then the, the services that you provide through SYS. Sure. So SYS, we're about uh, 14 members um, in all. So a pretty small team. And we provide services for online schools that typically they would go to like a management company for. Um, so like a Stride or Pearson's Blended Learning. 
we provide that, but we give them the opportunity to sort of manage themselves and we kind of work with them. And so we don't just provide them with like the tools, like the Chromebooks and the Canvas LMS and those type of things. We actually help them know how to use it. We support them with instructional coaches that can show them like how to actually um, sort of lay out a class and how to build the curriculum and how to use the tools smartly. Our tech team is uh, very good. So we have a tech team of about four and they do help tickets all day. Um, they meet and they write guide articles for things that come up for students that want to and families that want to self-service. So they have these really smartly written articles. They make videos. They're, um, they write they write their own software. So they're they're really on it, and uh, it's it's fun. We we really do want to. We love online education, and we don't want it to always have the negative connotation that it has had. And I think some of that has been earned, but we want to take it into the 21st century and actually use the tools to do like, like authentic teaching and to really make connections. The best, um, the best use of the internet, the best uh, programs out there are your like Facebook and your Twitter, the things that it's, it's things that connect people and tools have always been used online in like online schools as like digital packets and it hasn't been about that connection but we try to kind of gear everything and calibrate everything so it is about that relationship it's about creating a community in the cloud with the class about collaborating with one another about making sure that the teacher understands how to use the tools to connect with students so um, it's it's just kind of a different approach and i think it's one that um it's as the students we're teaching now and the students I had when I first started teaching online, as they come of age and start taking jobs, that's going to be natural for them. They grew up with the internet. They know how to connect and have friends online and how to collaborate online. Fonz, you collaborate with Natalie. You're friends with Natalie. You guys have never been in the same room, but you guys have done great work together. And our students are like that. They're like that. They think that way. And so when they come and they start teaching, I think there's going to be more stuff out there like SYS. I don't think it's only going to be SYS or that this is an idea that Bo and company created and only them have. It's like a natural idea that someone was going to have, I think. Yeah. And I think honestly, I mean, you're, you're way ahead of a lot of, you know, platforms or a lot of, uh, you know, schools that are out there, but there is a need. And eventually I think within the next couple of years, I mean, we're going to have to see, those changes in education and we are going to have to, you know, brace ourselves, you know, because education is going to change. The landscape is no longer going to be the same. We're not right. going to be able to go back to pre COVID days. It's going to be like, Hey, we got to think of the here and now and what's coming. So I really admire what you've done and, and the work that you're doing. So let's go ahead and continue here with our questions as we're kind of on the tail end of the show. But this is a question that uh, I'm always curious about, you know, especially with with guests that are here. And I always like to ask, you know, what currently would you say is your edu kryptonite? Ooh, like, okay. So your question is basically... What's my weakness? Yes. Hmm. Or maybe something going on in education that just really like, ugh, like, yeah, like, you know, that gets me. 
Well, as a teacher, I, I would say I haven't taught a class in a couple of years, so I'm, I'm very out of practice. So my weakness would be being in that rhythm, the planning, all that that goes into it. Um, in terms of how I taught, I could have planned further ahead. I think planning is a weakness of mine. Um, so, and planning is a very important part of teaching, especially when you have to create your own curriculum. I would lay out the scope and sequence, but I'd only operate about two weeks ahead um, of my students. And uh, that can get you in hot water sometimes. Sometimes it works out great because the other thing is you can be very responsive and flexible, but it's better to be like an Ashley White who has the entire year dialed in week by week and still changes it as she needs to than to be Bo, you know, flying two weeks ahead. So I would say the, the planning and Maybe. seeing the whole thing, sometimes I, I get bogged down a little bit. Yeah, same here. I mean, when I was in the classroom, it, that planning was really like my weakness, my edge of kryptonite. It was like I, I knew what I had to do. I knew my lesson plan, you know, pretty much kind of dialed in. But yeah, sometimes it's like it. And that's where that improvise, adapt and overcome just really comes into place. And and it's always been part of my practice because you just never know. You have something planned out and it's like, hey, we've got a fire alarm practice. We've got this presentation. We've got that. So Sometimes it was a little hard to plan, but like I said, I, I agree with you on that. It was just, for me, it was the planning. And for All me, right. honestly, part of it is I would know I wasn't good at something until I'd see a colleague like an Ashley White, a Tim Baddock, um, like, oh, write instructions and, and put all these embedded um, like help guides and things and, 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 to, and then like record the instructions. So they have them reading the instructions, like to make it so accessible. I, I would, I wouldn't be doing that. And then I'd see that. And then I'd realize like, Oh, I need to up my game. And so, <laughs> so a lot of times I wasn't really aware of what I wasn't good at until I was hit with an example of like, no, this is a better way to do it, Bo. <laughs> there you go. Hey, but it's part of learning and that's, that's definitely, uh, and that's a, the best part about it is just embracing that, making those changes and just saying, all right, let's, let's step it up. And, and that's always great. All right, Bo. So a couple of more questions before we round out. And the question that I, I would love to ask just to kind of uh, lighten the mood a little bit as, you know, we're, we're finishing off the show. But if you can take any one of your hobbies and make it into a profession, what hobby would it be? Hmm. Well, uh, it'd be a three-way tie between basketball. I always wanted to be in the NBA. Um, Writing. I love writing. I love putting words together. Being a novelist would be a thrill. And stand-up comedy, which was my first love. As a second grader, I used to study Annie's Evening at the Improv. And I used to tape it. And I used to try to understand why things were funny and how to be funny. Um, and I guess that goes with writing. So I think one of those three things would be super fun. I still love to get a laugh. <laughs> Nice. Love it. All right. Wonderful. <laughs> You're first guest who had a three-way tie. So that's awesome. That's great. Okay. Now, if you can have a billboard with anything on it, what would it be and why? Oh, a billboard with anything on it. Hmm. I'm trying to think, I know it would be, I would probably want to put 
um, something from a poem, something profound, something that means something, something I'd want some people to see and like take heed of. But honestly, to come up with it on the spot, it's going to take me a minute. I'll, maybe I'll just put it on Twitter and yeah. at you. All right. I don't want to say you're wasting your time. No, no worries. That's all good. All right, guys. So you heard it here. If you're watching or listening to the show later on, please make sure I'll probably link up the, the tweet to the show notes as well. That way you can go ahead and check out Bo's response there as well. All right. And the last question, my friend, if you and I were to switch roles and this was your podcast and I was your guest, what would be one question you'd like to ask me? Um, I would really, the question I'd want to ask you, um, that's interesting. You're a really good listener. Um, and I would want to know, uh, if that's always been the case, that's one. And then also, um, what made you decide to start podcasting? I think that that would be a really interesting question. So if you want to answer that, I'd love yeah, to hear. Perfect. I would definitely love that. As far as listener, you know what? Uh, a lot of people tell me that, that I, I'm a great listener, but I, I, I think that from, as far back as I can remember, I think that really stems, and I'll be honest with you, is since English is my second language, I really had to work on my listening skills in order for myself to develop language. So in listening to TV and really not knowing the words, but just hearing them helped me as I moved on to, I think it was like first grade or late first grade when I really started becoming a little bit more fluent in, in the language. And so now it's just kind of been part of me that even though I can be doing something else, like my ear is always open and I'm always, you know, listening because, you know, I, I don't want to miss any of those gems, like, you know, a lot of the stuff that you said today. So I think it's something that really stems from my youth and still to this day is something that, uh, you know, I really use that specific uh a sense, you know, because I, I've always considered myself a visual learner, but recently it's more like an auditory slash visual and they're all really connected, but that's really where it stems from. And the podcasting uh, started on April 10th of 2020 was my first episode that I did. And the reason that I wanted to do that is because at the time we had just recently just shut down completely as of March and there were many educators that were out there that had no idea what was happening, what was going on. They weren't sure what to do. And so I, my goal was to bring, you know, experts in their fields, people that I knew, uh, trainers, things that could just come and share. And I wanted it to honestly, I wanted to be a show that was going to be more techie than what it is now. but. Later on, that changed, and I said, you know, more than just bringing people on for what they're able to do and the talents that they have, which is I still allow people to shine on the show because I want people to know them. I really want to get to know the person. To me, that their story matters the most to me because their story is going to tell me how they ended up doing or coming up with a school. Their story is going to tell me how they became a Google innovator. Their story is going to tell me how they became a podcaster like Natalie or just an amazing online teacher like Ashley. So it turned out to kind of be more of I want to get to know people and I want to connect at that personal level 
And yes, we can have the education talk, but I gained so much more in making those connections with people and our audience members that are watching, that are re-watching or listening to the podcast too. I want them to feel like, hey, you know, I I, I just heard Bo, but I felt like I've I've known him for a long time or that story resonates with them or that story inspires them. So that's what it turned into probably about two months in when, you know, I just said, you know, there's plenty of people out there doing tech, but who's listening to the teachers, who's listening to those educators, those thought leaders that have some inspirational stuff to share. And that's what the show became. It became a place where educators, thought leaders, creators can come and they can connect one show at a time. And that's where we're at today. That's awesome. And I love that. I love that story about English, being an English language learner. That mm-hmm. speaks to what we were talking about earlier with the students who it's actually harder for and them overcoming and actually becoming greater. I mean, you're a better podcaster than I am. And English is my first language. And it probably is because you had to overcome that at a young age and you had to work harder for it. And so I just applaud you. That's so awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you, Bo. I really appreciate it. And I really appreciate our conversation, Bo. It was very refreshing. It was great. It was honest. It was genuine. And again, my, I'm just inspired and, of course, you know, full of admiration for what you have been able to do along with Natalie and Ashley and Tim and the rest of your amazing team at FCA and SYS. And I know that uh, this isn't going to be the first or last time that we hear from you. I know that you definitely will be on to, you know, bigger things as you continue to grow. But I appreciate you just opening up, sharing your thoughts and your experiences, because like I said, it's the whole point is to inspire others and through your story. So thank you so much. And to all our audience members that were joining us here, my friend Eddie, Mel, Pilly, Josh, uh, Amanda, thank you so much for joining us here in the comments, joining us live. For those of you that are going to be re-watching or re-listening to the show, please make sure you visit our website, myedtech.live. Drop us a like, give us a comment, subscribe to our podcast as well. Uh, We do have a blog up too as well. Please make sure you follow us and just give us a review. Let us know what we can do to improve. Uh, You guys are great evaluators. Definitely evaluate me. I'm always looking to grow because the whole point is to bring you the best of me and to bring you the best guests to help inspire you and to walk you through your education journey as well. So thank you so much for all of you guys joining. Mel says here, uh, thanks for sharing tonight. So Eddie, actually my friend Eddie is the one who made me a teacher. Yeah. He <laughs> Thank did. you, Eddie. He did. He's the one that uh, kind of moved me into education. So big shout out to Eddie. So again, guys, thank you so much. I appreciate every single one of you. Y'all take care and have a wonderful evening.